From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. We appreciate you tuning in and making us part of your day. Well, coming up, tens of thousands marched on D.C. today in support of Israel. May God have compassion on them and bring them out from darkness and the shadow of death. May God break their bonds, deliver them from their distress, and bring them swiftly back to their families' embrace. That was Oklahoma Senator James praying for the hostages at the event earlier today. The Washington Stands reporter Sarah Holliday was there, and she's going to join us later with a report. The U.S. House of Representatives is about to vote on a measure to keep government running beyond November the 17th. Well, that is when the current funding ends. House Republicans are divided over the measure that freezes current spending, with a majority of the House Freedom Caucus wanting to fight for a reduction in spending in this temporary bill. We're not surrendering. We're fighting. But you have to be wise about choosing the fights. You've got you to gotta fight fights that you can win, and we're going to. And you're going to see this House majority stand together on our principle, and, and we're going to do that. That was House Speaker Mike Johnson saying the fight would be forthcoming on more favorable terrain. Today's consumer price index should indicate that Bidenomics is really not working for the American family. Inflation is up 3.2 percent over last year. Since President Biden took office, the consumer price index has risen over 17 percent. Despite high interest rates, inflation continues at a high level. We're going to talk with E.J. Antony in just a moment. And good news today out of Finland. Today, we celebrate the necessary and common-sense decision of the Helsinki Court of Appeal to fully acquit Dr. Paivi Razanen and Bishop Johanna Pohila. The fact that their free speech case has dragged on for over four years and never came to trial is outrageous, but thankfully, justice has prevailed. That was ADF International Director Paul Coleman speaking after Finnish Member of Parliament Paivi Razanen was again acquitted of hate speech for quoting the Bible. Alliance Defending Freedom International uh, represented Pivey. And uh, today on the program, we're going to have the president and general counsel of Alliance Defending Freedom, Kristen Wagner. She's going to be joining us to talk about the case. If you missed my interview yesterday with Mike Davis of Article 3 Project, you should go to the archives at TonyPerkins.com and watch that interview about lawfare and how the left has weaponized government against conservatives using the courts. Well, today we're going to uh, follow up on actions Congress needs to take to protect and preserve the republic. That's coming up later. And finally, 27 Republican senators have sent a letter to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin yesterday demanding he rescind the Biden administration abortion travel policy that violates U.S. law. Secretary Austin could immediately resolve the crisis that Senate scare leader Chuck Schumer says Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville's hold on the military appointees is creating. As a result of Senator Tuberville's holds, America's national security is now paying the price. Our military readiness is paying the price. And our military spouses and kids who can't plan the next chapter in their lives, even though they've served us for many, many years, they are paying the price too. Patience is wearing fits in with Senator Tuberville on both sides of the aisle. And guess what? The Biden Department of Defense could fix this by simply going back to the policy that Congress passed. And that is taxpayers do not afford, uh, 
do not fund abortion or facilitate it. We'll talk with the senator who led this effort, North Carolina Senator Ted Budd joins us later. Our word for today comes from Hebrews chapter 8. Now this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest, that is Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Unlike the earthly priest whose work was never done, Jesus finished his work of offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He seated in the true tabernacle in heaven, the Holy of Holies. In the earthly replica of the tabernacle, the high priest only entered the Holy of Holies once a year to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Jesus remains there, having obtained mercy for us forever. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. We may be talking to uh, one of the House members where the votes are taking place right now. And and while House Speaker Mike Johnson and the GOP leadership seek a fast track uh, continuing resolution for government funding into 2024, the latest consumer price index was also released this morning with prices remaining stubbornly high for working American families. We're going to go first to E.G. Uh, E.J. Antony. He is a public finance economist and research fellow at the Heritage Foundation to talk about these latest numbers. E.J., welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you for having me back. So, E.J., what did we learn today from uh, today's Consumer Price Index release? Well, unfortunately, what we continue to see is that Americans are getting poorer because we are seeing prices uh, rise faster than earnings, and we are seeing the, the continuation of, of relatively high interest rates pummeling people on everything from, from mortgages to credit card debt and everything in between. I mean, all in all, the, the typical American family today is about $7,400 poorer than when Biden took office. It was interesting. I was just reading an AP article came out today. Basically, you, you read this spin and they're basically saying, oh, everything is working. Uh, we're seeing inflation come down. Uh, this should be uh, the American family. While not feeling it, they, they need to realize that the economy's better. My goodness. You know, I, I liken it to, uh, to the beginning of the NFL season when you hear a lot of commentators say that, a team is better than its record. You know, maybe it had a, a fluke game where uh, the referees had a lot of bad calls that, that blew the game for the team, or maybe they had some, some players that were injured, couldn't play that week, whatever the case may be. And so a, a team may be, quote-unquote, better than its record. But you only get to say that for a few weeks, right? When you're halfway through the season or, or even further, uh, it becomes more and more difficult to make that excuse. At some point, your record is your record. And the record of Bidenomics is very clearly one of failure. So, EJ, let's talk about how do we get this under control? Certainly, I, I don't think we continue to uh, uh, with debt fueled spending is going to help out the situation. No, you're absolutely right. And actually, that's that's precisely what needs to stop is all of this debt fueled spending, which is largely financed actually by by creation of money at the Federal Reserve. 
And so all of that needs to end. We need to shrink down government because the more we grow the federal budget, the more we end up having to shrink the family budget. That's exactly what we've seen over the last two and a half years. People don't like it. It hasn't worked. And we need to stop it. We need to reverse it. All you need to do in order to reverse it, though, is to simply reverse the policies that got us here. And again, that's government spending. But that's not what we see being proposed by the Biden administration, even in supplemental spending. We're seeing now with the the current debt, the servicing of that debt now has reached a point of about one trillion dollars a year. How do we sustain that? Oh, you can. It's not sustainable at all. And you're absolutely right that the things that are being proposed by this administration and the big spenders in Congress are precisely the opposite of what we need. And and unfortunately, things are really starting to snowball at that point and or at this point, I should say. And here's where things get dangerous as as the debt continues to grow and the cost to service that debt, which you just mentioned, it's over a trillion dollars a year now. As that continues to grow, you very quickly get to a point where the cost of servicing the debt becomes so big that it is fueling the deficit, which makes the debt even bigger, which further increases the cost of servicing the debt, and so on and so on. And, so on. and, and again, you can see how that quickly snowballs. We are already at the point where just interest on the debt, just that one expense alone, is consuming 40% of all personal income taxes. Uh, EJ, when you look at the the Fed and there, there's speculation, you know, what are they going to do? Are they going to continue to raise the uh, interest rates? Every time they raise that interest rate, the government ends up spending more to service its debt. So this becomes kind of almost a death spiral. Oh, certainly. But we have to remember that this is a problem that that they created for themselves. The only reason that I shouldn't say the only reason, but one of the key reasons why we have so much government debt today and consumer debt as well is because the Federal Reserve artificially kept rates far too low for far too long. And so it basically hid the true cost of that debt for literally more than two decades. When you make the, the cost of borrowing money so obscenely low, don't be surprised when more people, including the government, want to borrow money. And by keeping that, that cost of servicing the debt so low, it allowed the politicians to get away with growing the debt by trillions upon trillions of dollars. Well, now the chickens have come home to roost. E.J., as we're actually talking right now, the House is uh, just debating over a continuing resolution to basically move uh, funding, freezing funding at, at its present level into January. It's a, as we, we talked about in this program yesterday, it's a, it's a tiered or a laddered approach. Part of the funding ends in January, part in February. Are, are you optimistic that as they return to actually doing appropriations bills, that that is a step in the right direction of trying to get a hold of this out-of-control spending since we've just been doing these omnibus and continuing resolutions for years? Well, I, I understand the logic behind what the speaker is, is trying to do here, and I do sympathize with the fact that 
You know, he just took over this role only a short while ago. He is finally, you know, he's basically still in the process of, of putting his staff together. So they haven't really had much time uh, to, to put forward, to craft and put forward actual spending bills here. The problem is that just as he hasn't had a lot of time, the nation may not have much time left either. Because, again, as we just said, things are beginning to snowball. And eventually they're going to get to the point where it doesn't matter how hard we try to stop them, the momentum is going to take us over the falls. So, again, while, while I sympathize with the speaker for the position in which he has been put today, uh, I'm not sure that kicking the can any further down the road is doing enough to solve the problem. Final question for you, uh, E.J. Antoni, the 2024 elections, these numbers, I mean, you can spend the numbers, uh, the media can spend the numbers, but the American family is feeling it. Is this going to be a primary issue in the 2024 elections, the economy? I think so, especially when you consider that the last several months things have deteriorated uh, noticeably. I think that's a key reason why several polls by left-leaning media outlets, such as the New York Times, have all of a sudden placed Trump at a huge advantage to Biden. In, in one of them, for example, Trump won five of six key swing states and captures over 300 electoral votes if the election were held today, according to this poll. And, and I mean, that's not really surprising when you think about the fact that everything, especially necessities, have gone up so dramatically in price under Biden, while right. wages have nowhere near kept up. I mean, Look at housing, for example. Just just as, as one quick example here, the monthly mortgage payment on a median price home, we're not talking a mansion, just a median price home, it's 112 percent higher today. Right. You than can't, it was you can't hide that. You can't spend it. You can't hide it. Thirteen thousand dollars or e more. E.J. E e we're out. Of, we're out of time. We've got to go to a break. Folks, stick with us. We're back after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Tuesday, right? Tuesday? It is Tuesday, yes. Making sure. Uh, crazy day here. The uh, two-minute vote's on the House floor, so uh, we're kind of rearranging the, the, uh, the lineup here today. As uh, we were going to be talking about the CR earlier, we got members in the, the vote. So we're just going to see how the program plays out. But this I do know. Earlier today in Finland, an appeals court dismissed hate speech charges against... Paivi Rosina for social media posts that cited a Bible verse and traditional Christian views on marriage and sexuality. Paivi, who is uh, also a member of the Finnish parliament and the country's former interior minister, was cleared of charges along with Bishop Johannin Poilo uh, of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland. While we celebrate the good news, every Christian must remain aware of the left's continuing use of the legal system to, I mean, it's just to to persecute those with a biblical worldview. And and don't think that this is something that happens in other countries. Joining me now to discuss this is Kristen Wagner, president and general counsel of Alliance Defending Freedom, who coordinated Pivey's legal defense. Kristen, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Well, thank you for having me. So congratulations on today's news. This is a, uh, I think it was a total of four years that this has been going on. Give us your thoughts on on this case and what this may lead to. Well, it is a monumental victory. I mean, four years, they say the process is the punishment. Four years of criminal penalties, of um, those penalties hanging over Pivey's head, of not knowing what the future holds, of interrogations and charges. In fact, the charges that were filed against her were criminal in nature under the criminal code for war crimes and crimes against humanity. Simply being labeled as someone who engages in hate speech, whether you're convicted or not, itself carries a punishment. So we're thrilled that Pivey is exonerated today on appeal. But you're right to point out that there's a rise of global censorship that's going on right now and that we face it here in the United States as well. Now, now Christian, Kristen, she said that she was hoping that this would set a precedent that would provide protection for others. It may for a while, but I'm concerned. I mean, this was one state prosecutor 
who simply had, I mean, even though the, the district court um, unanimously acquitted her before, this was appealed, taken to an appellate, appellate court, um, this was all driven by one state prosecutor. I mean, all you have to do is have one person in this process that, that has a, you know, wants to go on a Christian hunt, and, and, and you're going to end up with another case like this. It does set national precedent, and so that national precedent should apply to others in this situation. But you're exactly right that rogue prosecutors can choose to try to distinguish that precedent in the future. And I do think it also points out the importance of citizen standing, though. You know, many of the nations throughout Western civilization have had constitutions or laws um, that protect free speech, religious freedom, but those laws aren't worth the paper they're written on if the citizens become right. apathetic or don't enforce them, as Pivey did here. That, that's really important, and that's important here in the United States as we see this infringement upon uh, religious freedom. And religious freedom you know, just, just to restate the obvious for uh, for those of us here, is religious freedom is not just the ability to, to worship as you choose. It's the ability to live out your faith, instructed by your faith. And if we don't have people in this country willing to stand up when they're challenged or that freedom is infringed upon, we do lose it. Absolutely. We also not only lose the right to be able to speak about and to live out the truth in our own lives, but we lose the right of self-government and we blur the lines with dictatorships and give totalitarian and authoritarian regimes power to silence the truth and silence debate on issues. So it's a very, very dangerous precedent that this prosecutor tried to set here. And I think it's also worth pointing out who they went against. I mean, they tried to convict of crimes a long-standing member of their parliament, a very public official, very well-loved, recently re-elected. So they're sending a message to the average person in Finland that if, if we can get her, we can get you as well. Right. Well, it's intimidating. It, it has a very chilling effect. I recently met with uh, the Finnish ambassador to the United States. We, we discussed this case. He's very tight-lipped about it. But but I'm, I'm I'm curious as to whether or not they may go back and review their process, allowing a state prosecutor to go after and essentially persecute someone for four years, knowing that the court unanimously threw this out. I sure hope that they do. I mean, these laws that essentially create hate crimes out of what they call hate speech are very vague. They're subjective. They can be interpreted and applied in all kinds of different ways. They're very destructive and dangerous. And we see them proliferating throughout Western Europe. The UK right now has a has an law now that prevents silent prayer outside of abortion clinics in a dip in in Mexico, we see others who are being prosecuted as well for their speech. And we certainly are seeing the beginnings of it here in the United States in a variety of areas. So we have to stand. And I think it's worth noting the prosecutor can still appeal this verdict as well. Right. Um, and we're hoping that the prosecutor general I, will choose not to do so, though. I think the pressure is going to be tremendous for them not to do that. Um, but we're going to remain vigilant. Uh, Kristen, final question for you. ADF does a great job. And in most of the cases, and I don't know what the percentage is, it's got to be 99, 98% of the cases you take up, you win. But you've got to have people willing to fight, stand up, take the public pressure, criticism. But in the end, we all win. Your, your, your final thoughts 
on the state of religious freedom and what people in this country need to be doing? I'm hopeful about the state of religious freedom and free speech because I do think that believers in particular are waking up to the need to stand not only for their own rights, but the rights of future generations. And what we see is that when we stand with courage and boldness on the truth, which is something you've done for so many years, Tony, I think that God honors that. It may not be in the timing or the way that we want in a particular moment, but over the long haul, he will honor it. And I've seen that play out in our cases with our clients time and time again, including with Pivey in this case. Well, we are so grateful for all of you at Alliance Defending Freedom, knowing that you're there to represent believers and those who appreciate the Constitution and our freedoms in the courts. Uh, Kristen Wagner, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, folks, don't go away. We're going to, after this break, we're going to have a report from one of our Washington Watch reporters going to be joining us, uh, actually a Washington Stand reporter joining us to give us a rundown on the March for Israel that took place on the Mall today. So don't go away. More Washington Watch still ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. And uh, let me again encourage you, if you've not yet joined the effort to pray for the House Speaker, today is evidence that he needs it uh, with uh, the the House taking up a, I'm watching C-SPAN here as they're voting, series of two-minute votes, and they're going to be voting on the continuing resolution, which would, as we talked about yesterday, continue funding until the... uh, 
till January, getting them past the holidays, which is where they are usually jammed with these omnibus. This is where they lump all of these spending bills in one and they force them on them the last minute. So this gives them time by pushing this over into January and February. And in the meantime, they're finishing the appropriations bills, which uh, I, I believe is going to provide a better a better terrain to to wage a fight over government spending. But if you'd like to join the effort to pray for the Speaker and for the Congress, this we've got to get this right, I'm telling you. Uh, as uh, EJ was talking about earlier, we don't have a lot of time. When you look at the way we're spending money, you look at the instability around the world, the lawlessness on our own streets, we need to be praying because we've got to get it right. So if you'd like to pray for the Speaker and the way forward, Text speaker to 67742, 67742, the word speaker. Well, as I mentioned, thousands assembled on the National Mall today for the March for Israel. It was a gathering organized by Jewish organizations to show support for Israel and condemn anti-Semitism. House Speaker Mike Johnson spoke at the event alongside Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer spoke Uh, Members of the Senate and House Bipartisan Task Force for Combating Anti-Semitism also took the stage to pray for the hostages, as we heard earlier, when Senator James Langford, a portion of his prayer. Well, join me now to to give us an overview of what took place on the Mall. Sarah Holliday, reporter for The Washington Stand. Sarah, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. So uh, tell us about uh, today's event. What uh, what struck what stuck out to you as you were there on the mall? Well, it was crowded. They are estimating hundreds of thousands of people were there. There were people that came in just saturated in white and blue with the flag of Israel draped on their backs, painted on their faces. There were young people, old people. I spoke to a child of Holocaust survivors. There were people whose family members are hostages with Hamas. There was a lot of representation there for these people, all fighting for the same cause. And yet it was just a pleasant event. People were laughing and singing, and I saw three Jewish men holding hands and dancing. It was a really unique place to be today. So how would you describe the spirit? It was both somber, but yet it was um, friendly, hopeful, optimistic. How would you describe it? Yes, to all of that. It's crazy because these people, I mean, they have people that they love or know that are being raped, abused, decapitated, kidnapped. They have every reason to be absolutely outraged. And yet, when we all came together today, there was this sense of hope and this sense of unity. That, I would have to say, that permeated the entire event, was that there was unity. There were people from all over America. There were people that flew in, probably from out of the state. There were just so many people there, all there, because they were fighting for the right to life. Israel, the Jewish people, they all have the right to exist. And that, I believe, was the unifying message that brought everybody there together. And in a sense, us being unified, I believe, brought joy, even though there's so much to be sorrowful over right now. You know, that's that's very interesting, Sarah, when you look at the contrast between what took place today and two weeks ago when the anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas marchers converged on Washington and we saw the violence at the White House, we saw uh, windows busted out of businesses, we saw the, the, the obscene and hateful chants. That wasn't there today. 
Definitely not. Maybe it's a reporter in me, but I definitely showed up looking for it. I was expecting there to be some kind of counter-protest, but all that I saw was one lady holding up a sign. She wasn't even saying anything. She was just completely silent. But outside of that, no chaos. Like I said, there was laughter. There was music. There was dancing. There were people that, I mean, if I could speak for them, I would say a lot of them want to keep this as little in the political arena as possible because this isn't just politics. This is life. This is about being able to exist, to have a voice, to be able to live without constantly being threatened by people who hate you. And so I would say that that is what this is about. For other people, I would say politics probably does fuel them and they're angry and they're just bursting out into these chaotic scenes that we see and that we saw here just two weeks ago. And so now we have people that are coming together who don't want that to be what brands them. They want to be branded by the sense of we care about people. We care about our people. We care about the people who are being kidnapped, who are being abused, who are being raped, who have been persecuted since the founding of this nation. This is all they have. And that's what this is about, is keeping what they have and keeping their lives. Having the ability to protect themselves. That's all they're asking for. Sarah Holliday, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. Uh, appreciate uh, your work at the Washington Stand. Thank you so much. And folks, uh, you can read her report at the Washington Stand, which um, every day. We have stories coming to you from Washington, from the Washington stand, all from a biblical worldview. So to find out more about that, go to TonyPerkins.com or just Google Washington stand. All right, coming up next, uh, we are going to be talking uh, a little bit later with one of the members as they break away from the House floor. They're going to call us uh, on the phone and we're going to discuss the uh, vote on the continuing resolution that's coming up. They're uh, continuing to vote even now as I'm watching various bills or various amendments on the uh, on the floor. All right. Also, we're going to talk to Senator Bud from North Carolina next after the break. So don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. 
Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville continues his stand to protect life and the rule of law by objecting to the Pentagon's illegal abortion travel funding policy, he's simply putting a hold on military promotions, meaning he's not blocking them, all right? So this is very, very clear. He's just making them vote, that's all. And they voted on some, but it takes up time, which they don't like to do. They would rather spend your money. Well, Democrats are continuing to ratchet up the pressure on Senator Tuberville, and they want him to fold. The Biden administration claims that Senator Tuberville's holds on military appointees is a detriment to military readiness. Let me tell you what's a detriment to military readiness. The Biden administration policies. Well, yesterday, 27 Republican senators responded with a letter to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, noting that he, the secretary, is the one that broke a promise to the American people by politicizing the military and demanding that he rescind the abortion travel policy. Join me now to discuss this is North Carolina Senator Ted Budd, who led this effort. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Armed Services Committee. Senator Budd, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So your letter to Secretary Austin gets straight to the point. It's He's the one that's broken his promise to the American people not to politicize the military, and his actions have harmed and threatened uh, the institution and the norms within our democracy. So it's not Senator Tuberville that has to, to retreat. It should be the Pentagon that goes back to the policies that were in place before. Well, we've got to change the narrative back to the truth. And then again, exactly, it's not Senator Tuberville uh, is the problem here. The letter simply says, one, you promised not to politicize the military, and you did. And the other is that the simplest way to fix this is to change the policy. I've told him in person in multiple hearings, I said the way to fix this is with the stroke of a pen. You can fix this by this evening, the evening of the, of the hearing, and he chose not to. You know, he was a well-decorated warrior at one point who served our nation, and now he's become completely politicized by the Biden administration. It's very, very disappointing. And the narrative needs to be the truth in that this is not about Tuberville. 
He's simply standing up for a good policy. And then, uh, Tony, when we asked uh, the, the DOD, how many women do you think this would affect or, or in their worldview? And they said this would probably serve 4,000 women. And then we asked for, first of all, they didn't know. Then they said 4,000. And when the data actually came out, it was 12. They have done all this, holding up our military for over 200, close to 300 days uh, for 12 incidences, uh, which is probably even illegal. Now, some would say, well, oh, it's just 12. Then why are Republicans, why are they objecting to this? But I, I want to bring it back to the issue of the law. The law says, and this is something that has been in place for, for a long time, this idea, it's been bipartisan, that taxpayers wouldn't be forced to participate in funding or facilitating abortions. And that's what you and the other senators are simply trying to hold the Pentagon to. Well, I appreciate my colleagues standing strong on this. And this is, again, about politicizing the military and the uh, the woke left agenda. This is not about um, military strength and readiness and lethality, which we've got so many things going on in the world right now that we need to be ready for. This is a complete distraction. Uh, we need these people in place. Schumer uh, hasn't brought them to the, the floor. The ones that have come to the floor, we forced those votes. So we're all about military readiness. But at the same time, this is about uh, a left agenda. Let's talk about the effort now. Democrats are working to circumvent this established practice of members being able to place holds. That's one of the few things that uh, those in the minority can use to kind of slow the process down. They're talking about changing the rules. You actually referenced this in your letter that that would create a very toxic environment going forward. Well, unfortunately, it went through the Rules Committee today. It hasn't gone to the larger floor um, standing order 444, which uh, it does circumvent this, and it would expire uh, uh, after a while, so it's not permanent, but unfortunately, um, it does end run this. I mean, the best way is let's vote on these uh, individuals for military readiness. What do you think happens to that rule when it goes to the floor? Uh, well, because we're in the minority, I want to be in the majority, and that's what we're working towards in 2024, but right now, uh, with so many uh, that see this very differently, uh, then uh, I, I think it would be uh, a short-term but unfortunate change. So, that, but that will require um, that will require what ten uh, Republican votes to make that happen. And un unfortunately, I believe that would happen. So pray that pray that it wouldn't. But again, uh, it, it's looking like it will. Well, that that's an action item for you, folks. Uh, we need to be calling your senators and encourage them to stand with Senator Tuberville. So I'm going to give you that number in a moment. Uh, Senator, just a couple minutes left with you. Thanks for joining us today. But the the Biden administration reports now circulating that they are discussing or they're talking about removing sanctions, freezing, unfreezing more money that would go to Iran, $10 billion by lifting certain sanctions. Um, what do we know about that? Well, let's go back to before October 7th of last month, and we see what happened? I mean, they released $6 billion for a possible, possible prisoner exchange, and that led to uh, the, the worst attack on the Jewish population since the Holocaust. Uh, 30-some Americans were killed. Uh, many are held hostage, including North Carolinians, where I'm from. It's absolutely devastating what they've done, and it's been this uh, soft in, on Iran policy that's allowed this to happen. Now they're thinking about not $6 billion, like pre-October 7, but they're thinking about $10 billion. 
this can only make it worse in a time where we need to be strong, Tony. And it's com it's completely unfathomable that they would want to do this. It's very it's weak, and weakness is provocative on the world stage. And that's exactly what Biden's doing. Th this, I'm almost speechless when you consider that they've not only been behind the attacks fueling Hamas and Hezbollah against our ally Israel, but they've actually attacked our, their, their proxies have attacked our military in different parts of the world. Repeatedly, when you look at the 50-some attacks that have happened in not too many, uh, in the last week or two in uh, Syria, uh, when you look at Iraq, um, and then just very timid responses from the Biden administration, again, that's more of this weakness being provocative. So you've got to have a strong leader on the world stage. We had that under President Trump. We can have it again, but unfortunately, we don't have that with the Biden administration. That's being that's being driven by the State Department lifting these uh, sanctions. It's very troubling. Any chance that can be stopped? Or is that just that's just going to happen? Rage uh, over this, um, and hopefully, people that saw the connection between the six billion dollars and the terrorist attack from Hamas on October seventh. Um, if they see that connection, uh, then let's see how bad it could be for the $10 billion. So I would just, I hope more people are aware of this and express their outrage to the Biden administration. Yeah, they may, you know, they use the $6 billion for little Satan, use the $10 billion for big Satan. I mean, we know that they would love to take us out as well. Senator Ted Budd, I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to, uh, to talk with you. Thanks so much. Thank and thanks for leading that letter, too, on behalf of uh, Senator Tuberville standing. Uh, I thank my colleagues as well. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. All right. Ted Budd in the Senate. There uh, a great change there in the Senate, having Senator Ted Budd there in the, from North Carolina, his strong conservative uh, doing great work there. All right. Here's the switchboard number. All right. You've got some homework. 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121. Uh, that is a number to the switchboard. Okay, so you heard the senator talking about a rule change that is making its way through the process. It went through the committee. It's going to go onto the House floor. Now, this rule change, what it addresses is the, the senators have this privilege of putting a hold on a nomination, or in this case, promotion in the military. Doesn't stop it. It just requires a vote. Okay, so what they generally do is they do uh, all of these promotions at one time by unanimous consent. That's when you see on C-SPAN, nobody's on the floor, but they're voting on things. They just, somebody moves it through. Well, he's requiring them to go and actually cast votes until they stop this illegal policy of funding abortion. So they want to change the rule to take away the ability of Senator Tuberville to do that. So call your senator, and especially your Republican senators, and encourage them to stand with Senator Tuberville and not change the rules. 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. All right. We're going to get a, an update now from the House floor. Uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman of Wisconsin joins us. He's uh, joining us by phone. As I said, they're, they're in a series of votes that are taking place. And so he has stepped off the floor to give us an update. Glenn, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Good. I just stepped off the floor. We just wrapped up the vote on what we call a continuing resolution. Um, 
we were a little bit behind the eight ball here. You'll, your listeners will recall that we went through a long process without a speaker, so we got kind of behind things. And today, uh, Congressman Johnson, Mike Johnson from Louisiana, who is just such a tremendously good Christian, uh, he realized we were either going to shut down the government or trying to give us a, you know, a couple more months to uh, get our work done. And he made impassionate pleas. He made like four or five impassioned pleas today to our Republican members to do what we call a continuing resolution because he did not want to shut down the government. The public does not like government shutdowns. I know individual members of your listening audience might, but believe me, uh, people who have been around here a while know that if the Republicans shut down the government, uh, the public is against them. So I voted. uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, Glenn, I I agree. I mean, you've got to have a plan. What would be the plan? What would be gained by shutting down the government at this point? I I can't think of anything that would be gained. no, and, and Mike, I'm not supposed to talk what goes on behind closed conference, but I'll tell you, behind closed doors, Mike asked four times. He asked the Republicans who did not want to keep the government open, how is this going to end? You know, how are you going to wind up ahead of the game by shutting down the government? Because eventually it's going to reopen. And his point was, it'll reopen when the Republicans get beat up in the news media. And no, no, none of these people who are voting against Mike today, breaking from our new speaker, could give him a reason or an explanation of how this was going to end. So I felt sorry for our speaker. Most Republicans stuck with him, but on this first test, a lot didn't. And I, I really felt sorry for Mike today. He should have got uh, he should have got every single Republican to vote for him when he called for the vote. And sadly, about 95 Republicans voted against him. I think we had uh, Republicans voting yes, 127 voting no, 93 Democrats voting yes, 209 two voting no. So this continuing resolution, what it was called a laddered uh, continuing resolution, moves forward to the Senate. But, Glenn, this is what Mike has articulated is that. They're going to fight. You just got to have favorable train to have the fight on. I think working through the appropriations bills, getting more time to get the ratchet down the spending, put in the policy. That's going to happen in the appropriations process. Absolutely. The most important thing is who wins the arguments over what's in those bills, not when we pass the bills. And shutting the government down for two weeks till a few moderate Republicans join with the uh, with the Democrats and keep things open only makes the Republicans look bad. And uh, we did not want Mike, within his first month on the job, have a government shutdown because he couldn't control what the other Republicans were doing. Right. And, and, but I've, I've looked at many of these appropriations bills are really good. And, and as the speaker they has are. The, the speakers made the point, we haven't done this in uh, over 20 years. We have not used exactly. the appropriations process. Right. And... Uh, even in this what we call laddered CR, you're not going to be able to put every appropriation bill together and have one of these 2,000-page right. uh, behemoths. You're going to have to break out a separate vote on education, a separate vote on national defense, a separate vote on military construction and veterans affairs, general government. Every, hopefully, we'll get as many separate votes as possible so we know what's in the bills, which will be uh, really a, a feather in the cap of, of Mike Johnson. But in order to get there, we had to win today, which is, say, give him more time to get things done. And 
we did that. Like I said, I was I was disappointed that some of my Republican colleagues wouldn't uh, wouldn't stick with Mike on this, but enough of us did that we're gonna we're not gonna shut down the government. Uh, Glenn Grothman, let me let me ask you a final question for you. There was a lot of unity in the conference. Is this? I mean, are we fractured again? Or are we going to be able to pull together and move forward? Well, I think Mike will pull us together. Mike is such a sincere guy. Uh, everybody knows he's trying to, the, to do the best he can. And, of course, right now, because we had a new Democrat sworn in uh, yesterday, we only can afford to lose three votes. Uh, so, you know, it's tough to have... 218 of 221 stick together. But if anybody can do it, Mike can do it because he's so well-respected. Right. I was just disappointed so many of them voted against Mike today. Yeah, I don't think you could get all them to agree on the same flavor of ice cream. I mean, it's uh, it's a difficult, difficult job. Glenn, thanks so much for uh, stepping off the floor and, and giving us a call. Always great to talk with you. Yeah, and we'll have to talk later on the things that are in these bills because you're right, there's a lot of good stuff in the Republican bills. But we're just going to have to negotiate with the Senate. We'll, we'll uh, check off but, and see what, what we're winning on and what the left is winning on. And that's where we have the fights, because we're going, we're going to be on more favorable terrain at that point. Yep. All right. Yeah, I agree. Glenn Grothman, yep. good to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Yep. Okay, bye. All right, folks, thank you for joining us as well. But, again, action items for you. Be sure and call your senators, 202 224-3121, do not change the rules to circumvent the courageous stand that Senator Tuberville is taking. All right? And pray for Mike Johnson. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, where he says, stand, and then just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.